right. Here we are. Here we are. All right. I want to start because we forgot this last time. This well, is wait, Ollie. wait, wait. And this is Scott. And uh, you and forgot to back. say thank you. Thank you. We this don't is so many things to remember. We oh need like gosh. a checklist. We need a we checklist. Do. do we do this? Hey, this is science in between. This is and, yeah, this is science in between, and we need a che- checklist manifesto. Yeah, yes. we already did that part. Don't redo it because then I know, people will be like, I "Come know. on!" I just want to make sure because last time we never introduced ourselves. It's just like we jumped right in. Yeah, and well, that's you know we're, we we're excitable. We're we excitable are. fellas, and so we just jump right into the. Ex- oh my gosh, we have so much to say. We have so much great content. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this. This is what the people come for. They do. They come for this banter. This is, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, hey, what was, so what was that episode called? This is not the nonsense you came for. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that that might be when we get to year two, like the best names. Best that's, name. that's in the running. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So we are going to take a, a slight detour today because Scott and I were having the show before the show and we yeah. realized we were having a pretty good show <laughs> before the show. Yeah. And so we said, Hey, let's just do this. And we're, yeah. I know we're in the middle of these inclusive practices and we are definitely going to jump back into them next week. So, um, but we, uh, I think this, this came up because I just got back from a conference. Um, my first conference in, since the pandemic started. So uh, I was at uh, the leadership and higher ed- education conference, which was held in, in uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, last week. And um, this is a conference I've been to a bunch of times and I'm on the advisory board for this group. It's mostly like, um, you know, pulling in deans and department chairs and faculty developers and provosts and stuff. So it's kind of like a collection of folks who come from different higher ed backgrounds, but have leadership roles. And so uh, I've gone to this conference like probably like four or five times. And, you know, last year we did virtual and this was the first time we did a face-to-face um, and the numbers were down. So we had like probably like 200 people instead of like the six or 700 we had a handful of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it was kind of wild to be back into that face-to-face uh, environment. Everybody was wearing masks and stuff. But what it did is... Wait, can I ask one thing real quick? It's, so there was no hybridity to this. It was straight face-to-face. No... Okay, that, this, is, this is the interesting thing these folks did. Um, so what they did was there is, they wanted to protect the face-to-face nature of this. So you couldn't participate in this weekend via like any sort of remote means. You were either there or you weren't. However, they selected a handful of ones from the program and recorded them beforehand. So they said, hey, would you meet with us to record? So I think there's probably like maybe maybe a third of the presentations that are going to be offered virtually starting like three days after the conference. Mm. And then... And then what they'll do is they let those be, and they recorded the two keynotes and the one keynote was awesome. She was awesome. Uh, nice. Hillary, Hillary Link, who is the uh, president at Allegheny College. She, she is, yeah, she is wicked smart. And she had a lot of things to, to talk about. But, um, and, but I think what, what it did was it, because, you know, we've been away from this for so long, this conferencing thing, it gave me the, it remind me of all the things I hate and all the things I love about conferences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, so that's oh. why we're talking about that. So we are like, we should have an episode just about conferences, like what we like yeah. and what we hate about conferences. And yeah, yeah gosh, I had, I, and I was saying to you this uh, before the show was uh, there was a, there was one session in which the person just read 
not not just their slides like the slides like reading someone's slides there are times and places for that and we've yeah. you know we could talk about that like if you have a quote on a slide that you think is really important you know you taught me this that either you wait the appropriate amount of time so people can read the actual quote or mm-hmm. you read it for them with giving them the inflection that you're you know so i think there are times for that i mean there's some you know some some times for that yeah well, she read not only the slides, but she had prepared notes and read all of the notes from paper. Like, so they weren't yeah. bullet points like to help her stay on track. It was literally word for word. Everything was crafted so that she would say the exact same, say, the exact things she wanted to say. Yeah. And it and was mind numbing. And I think the thing you need to say about that is it was also an hour long presentation. It was. So <laughs> I if it's 15 minutes, it's hour. like. <laughs> I did not make the full hour. No, well, no same yeah. person. But, but, um, and I think the other thing that you mentioned is maybe that this per it wasn't this person's, uh, you know, this wasn't a, a, a person with a lot of experience with public yeah. speaking. So, so sometimes those folks really need a crutch, um, but they need a more uh, productive crutch than that because that is not right. that is not doing anybody any good. Yeah, I, I think that the the balance of using PowerPoint is that it helps you stay on track. It get you know it gives you a roadmap, but when it becomes this like crutch in which you know you don't know what to say and everything gets put on the slides or everything that you want to say is crafted for, down mm. to the sentence, it leaves for no like organic nature to happen in the in yeah. the, the set. And I th- I think people see presenting as not as teaching right? They see those as being very different. And mm. so the stuff that people would, I, and that was a flip for me a, uh, a handful of years ago where I said, you know what, I'm going to like approach a presentation like it was a, a class. So I build some yeah. places in there where people have to interact with me, you know? So if they think they're just sitting there and going to listen to me, you know, spout wisdom for, you know, 45 minutes or an hour, I'm going to like, <laughs> you know, put up questions and ask people to think about and then help, help, you know, talk to a, turn to a partner, talk to them. You know, it's like, it's really strange for people to do that at a conference. And, but I force them to, I, I, I I force them to, and they, some people don't like it. I'm like, turn to a partner, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the things we could, we could talk about is like, what are conferences for, but certainly one of the things that conferences are for building community. Right. And absolutely. And I think that, that you're, it's part of your obligation as a speaker to, to, to do that because otherwise the only time that happens is in the, in the interstices when, when people can be, you know, in between sessions and bump into each other and have a little chat in the right. hall, which is super great. And why most people go to conferences, but you know, that also has an intentionality to it, right? That you're only going to talk to the people that you sort of know or want to know, as opposed to just talking to people that you you don't know. And I, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, if you're at a conference with this group of people, you already have some common ground with them. And if you're in the same session, even more so, right? Like, especially if it's not like the keynote, if it's like a smaller session where, where then you guys have something in common with each other. And so turning and talking to somebody shouldn't be that big a deal. Yeah. Like, I don't know, maybe a decade ago or a little bit longer. I mean, there was this real, this movement to move away from like these formal conferences and do like on conferencing, you know, that was a thing and it just sort of died. Right. I mean, it was like, you know, I mean, maybe it's still happening. Yeah. I was going to say, it's hard to know what died and what didn't given the fact that we haven't had in-person conferences in so long, but yeah. I mean, it just seems like 
that was really hard to do with the, you know, the pandemic. And even beforehand, I didn't see a whole lot of places where if you went to a conference and, and I go to a bunch of conferences each year, um, and I still feel the, that they're mostly traditional. They're mostly traditional. Like, you know, here's a formal program. Here are the four. And, and even in, inside that program, like there's no real differentiation. Like it's based on really the differentiation based is based on the conference and what the, you know, what kind of conference it is like, a you know, an NSTA is different than a NARST, which is different than an ARA. You know, we talked to, you know, if you're not familiar with those, like NSTA is the National Science Teaching Association or Teachers Association. NARST is the National uh, Association of Research and Science Teaching. Yeah, it's technically not anymore, but carry on. But what is it now? It's not. Well, it's just NARST. Um, a world stand for anything. It doesn't stand for anything. It's a worldwide organization. I, I'll have to, I don't remember the tagline. I'm, I'm full of shame now because I'm a board member currently, so I should know this. Wow. But, well, but okay, five so, seconds on this. The reason no, for that is- No, I'm do, not saying, wow, you don't know. I'm saying, wow, they changed no, no. it from an acronym to just like it being its own name. Like they created yeah. a word. Yeah. You know, that, well, that's what I'm that. like going whoa about. I'm not I like, know. like, yeah. But they did that because they wanted to keep the identity of the organization, but they wanted it to be a more international organization. And the N is sort of, you know, you got a problem there with the uh, national bit on the front end. So that was the choice. I, I was not on the board when that choice was made, but I don't know what a better choice would be, right? I mean, it's tough right, when you've right. got an identity for your organization and you want it to move from national to international. So anyway, we're not here to talk about NARS specifically. Right. But so yeah. NSTA, NARS, it's the ARA. more research-based and ARA is the broad behemoth American Education Research Association, which is yeah. also international and they yep. still keep that American in there. I, yeah. You know. But I think they're not explicitly trying to build their international brand. I think they sort of have that. And then there's like ISLS, the International Society of Learning Sciences. Right. Um, and they obviously, and they're, that's a longer story, but they, they've always been sort of an internationally focused organization. So Yeah. Yeah. So if you were a presenter and you wanted to present something at NSTA and present something at NARST and present something at ARA, they're, they're like completely different focuses. I mean, they're like, you couldn't just take this presentation and say, I'm just going to plop it in all three of those and get in. Yeah. Right. It's because the, the focus is different at each one of those. The, the community is different. And I, it goes back to discourse communities. Mm, does it? Does it? It does, in fact. Communities you know, of practice. Communities of practice. And, and those communities of practice have different ways of talking and different ways of, of, of doing things. And um, yeah. And so I find that it's really hard for me. Like there's some conferences I go to and I, I, I enjoy because it hits the mark. There's yep. other ones I go to and it's like so far off the mark. It's really hard for me to find like stuff that's going to keep me interested for the three or four days that I'm, I'm there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. And that's, and you know, another thing we're saying about conferences that's, that's tricky is um, so if you're a conference uh, you need people to attend. That's how, yeah. how they work. Um, but for them to attend, you often need them to present because for their home institutions to support them, uh, pe for people to go, they need to have something accepted, which is attention then for the, for the conference. Because if you set your standards so high that 
only really good presentations get in, then you have yeah. a very small niche conference. If you want a bigger, broader conference, you have to be a little more flexible in letting people in. And what that does is it dilutes the program, right? It means that some of the things that are there are going to be rough sledding and, and you're going to go in and say, Oof, wow, that was tough. And so there is a fine balance between those things and knowing your audience, right? So NSTA has a different view of what a good... Right presentation is than NARS does or AERA, as you said. So, you know, and, and I'm not saying those things are explicit per se, but they are part of the cultural practices of those organizations sure. that develop over time. So, um, so it is another piece of that puzzle, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, you know, when I, so AERA, I've gone to AERA probably like, I don't know, eight times in 15 yeah. years, probably like every other year I've gone. Um, and I'm usually presenting something. But I have to say that it is it is it is a um it's a slog for me to go yeah. there. It's just so big and yeah. it is it's a big conference in which there's they have cast such a wide net in sort of in sort of disciplines that you have to go through and that this program is gigantic. It's like yeah. a catalog and you have to go through and figure out like, okay, what is the stuff that you're interested in? And then finding that stuff there and then finding, and then you have to assess the quality of the stuff right, there. Right. And it's really hard to assess the quality based on a title and based on a, uh, you know, a brief abstract. And sometimes I'll go, Oh, you know what? I recognize this presenter or yeah, I've recognized the way, right? I know. But then the challenge is sometimes that the print presenter isn't even the person presenting. They're right. like, you know, it's, it would be like, Oh, Scott McDonald. I know Scott McDonald, but then Scott McDonald's actually not there. It's a, you know, a grad student who's presenting right. and Scott is, you know, just hanging out back in state college, yeah. you know? Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> send, send my minions forth. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, I think collecting that's all of those lines on your CV. Cause that's, that's what right. You yeah. You know, building up that CV. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, you know, and also just to put it in, in scope, like AERA is like 25,000 people. Like it's a it massive organization. It, it, it is like there, there are very few conferences, at least in education, that are of that scope and scale. Like usually we're talking about a couple thousand people on the top end. Um, and, you know, some of them are quite now NSTA also massive, massive yeah. conference. So, um, in fact, that's probably bigger than eight year. I don't know how many people go to NSTA, but probably 40,000. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So some of these conferences, like you imagine 25,000 people, that's, you know, it's a good sized towns worth of people all yeah. together trying to organize their activity. And that's, that's a big ask. Yeah. And, and then if you talk about like ISTE, which yeah. is like, which is the big technology and education conference, the International Society for Technology and Education, I think, is that what? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So they started out right from the beginning, put that I in there. Yeah. They're they were smart. like, super smart. They were smart like that. They were, yeah. they're, they're proactive. They were yeah. like, yeah, yeah. you know, someday we're going to be international. So, <laughs> <laughs> like Bru Bruno Mars. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so the ISTE is, uh, it's got a rival. Na uh, NSTA, if not more. I, I mean, I don't know the numbers, but it's huge. Yeah, yeah. You know? it is so big. And and I will say for for me, like that's something that I'm really interested in. But I've gone there and and just never found like I, I I've never been able to really navigate that successfully because I've never found the right presentations that kind of hit me. Yeah. And I've also kind of felt the, the corporate nature of it is really challenging for me because there's, mm -hmm. because there's so many people 
so the people who go to ISTE are people like, okay, I'm a, uh, you know, my teacher and I want to learn how to do stuff in my classroom. So, th- you yeah. know, that's a great thing. And then you go through like the, the vendor space and you're getting inundated with, you know, all kinds of stuff to sell. And these companies have tons and tons of money because they're, you know, trying to, you know, giving away bling, which is great, but you're just like, it is like, it's like going through Times Square. Yeah. That's what it's like. It is like yeah. going through Times Square. If you're if you've been through Times Square when it's like really busy and you see all the people dressed up like Elmo and all that. I mean, it's and all the flashing lights and that you're just getting bombarded with stuff. That's ISTE's vendor space. And actually, that's not just the vendor space. It's almost everywhere you go, because even some of the presentations are sponsored by people. I mean, and by by industries and companies. And, and so, you know, while you'll look and say, oh, this is a, you know, a, a middle school science teacher from, you know, Illinois, yeah. but that person's sponsored by this tech company, right? Yeah. And because they're in with that. And, and that is really challenging because they're coming to tell you about something, but they're also, you know, in a way advertising for that, yeah, that company. They should, too. Yeah, they definitely are. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, um, and let's, so let's talk about, um, it feels like there's two things we can talk about. So the big, the big picture, like what do you do at a conference and why do you go? Uh, And then secondly, which may be a different episode is like, how do you present at a conference in a way that's productive for you and for the people in the audience? So you, you pick which one of those you most want to talk about since you're, you just went through the punishment of, of a face-to-face conference. Well, I'll, I'll say that, that, um, well, let's start with the first one. What, um, which was like, what do I do at a conference? And yeah, like, why, I, why go and what? What's your purpose there, and how do you organize your time? I guess is the way to think about it. Yeah, I, you know, for me, um, I I go I go to a lot of conferences, and I don't I try to present, but I'm usually presenting on things that um, either uh, I'm still working on and I'm trying to get feedback, and that really ties into like what I do there. I am trying to, if I'm working, I usually have like three or four big projects going on, you know, like research wise or, you know, uh, teaching wise or something on campus. And what I'm trying to do is to gather as much information to do that thing better. And, and so I'm going and I'm going with that sort of like lens, like, okay, like this past weekend, um, when I was doing this, uh, leadership conference, um, I was focusing almost entirely on mentoring, because I have uh, me and a colleague are, you know, doing this mentoring thing on campus. And so I went to as many mentoring sessions as I can't, I could, because I was like, okay, how do I inform this work? And what's, what are other people doing around this? And so I'm like navigating through the things that are either that subject or like adjacent to that. You know, if I was a, you know, a, a high school physics teacher and going to like a statewide science conference, uh, science teaching conference, I'd be looking at, okay, I'm teaching this, or I'm having trouble teaching with this, or I'm like, you know, I'm, uh, this is a subject that I always, when I teach it, I always feel like I could be doing this better. Then I'm going to try to navigate the conference and try to find as many things that would relate to that as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's, that's how I navigate. It's like, what am I working on or what I'm, I'm hoping to work on and how can I gather information to, and, and sometimes that's really broad because some, there's so many things that connect to those. So mm-hmm. it might not just be mentoring or it might not just be science. It might be the things that kind of connect to that. Like, you sure. know, for instance, with mentoring, I went to one around, you know, new faculty orientation. 
orientation, which is not really mentoring, but it's still mentoring adjacent, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm really, but that's for this conference. Like if I was going to, I don't know, like uh, site, which is uh, um, a more research-based ISTE. So it has an um, technology and education focus, but it's a little bit research-based for that. I'd be focusing. Okay. okay, Like, so technology and in classrooms, integrating technology, online teaching, those are things that I'm working on right now. What are some things that, you know, I could learn from that because I'm always trying to stay like relevant. I'm always trying to stay, you know, my 30th year of teaching and I'm still trying to, you know, yeah, right. still trying to do this well, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good goal. <laughs> sure. Maybe next year. I'll do it. Yeah, maybe, yeah. I mean, you, there's hope for you yet, I think. Yeah, there is. I, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. What yeah, about you? So, what, what do you do? Like, how, how do you navigate this? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what you said, especially the first thing you said, I think is the platonic ideal that you're going to get feedback in your work. I have not found that generally speaking, the sessions themselves, you get much feedback on your work, right? Even if you have a sort yeah. of open... Q&A session or the, the sessions are structured that way, you can do your best to organize that. Um, either you you build a session um, that that's designed like an interactive poster session that's designed to, to have you interacting with people and getting feedback more directly. I mean, I will say, you know, in terms of, of um, presentation structures, I, I think especially for junior people and maybe just in general, uh, poster sessions are can be really good because you do actually get to talk to people about your work as opposed to, you know, presentations um, where you stand and talk for 15 minutes and then you have like one minute of Q&A where somebody stands up and pretends to ask a question, but really just wants to talk about their own work. And then you have to nod along and say, thanks for taking up all the Q&A time with your silly, um, you know, pontification about your own stuff. Um, So, you know, that's, that's a little depressing. So I think, you know, that, you know, I, I think the reality is I go to conferences mostly for the stuff that happens in between the sessions, um, which is, you know, talking and meeting with my colleagues and and friends that I want to talk to that. And sometimes that's people I know well, that I know do good work and I want to talk with them. And sometimes that's new people who I've read something of theirs and I'm interested in their work, but I don't know anything about it or not much. And then I'll either go to their session and talk, try to talk to them afterwards, or I'll reach out to them in advance and say, Hey, you know, I read your paper. I'm wondering if you're going to be going to NARST. If so, can you, you know, can we have coffee? Can we chat for a minute? Because I'm really interested in what you're up to. Um, so I think that that sort of um, treating a conference as, a, and I hate to call it networking because that sounds a little too um, uh, Machiavellian intentionally yeah. like, oh, I want to meet that Ollie guy. He's super famous and maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe right. he'll get, you know, put me in one of his blog posts or whatever. Wow. You know, that's, yeah. that's not really, I mean, that's a creepy way to go about it. But sure. if you say, Hey, that guy, Ollie, you know, I've been reading his blog and it's, he's got some really interesting ideas and I'd like to just talk to him. So, um, I think that, that can be, um, you know, a really productive way to think about it. I think, the presentations are hard, right? I mean, you know, especially as you get when you're when you're a junior person, I think there's there there are a lot of advantages to going to sessions. You you learn the culture, you can get new ideas, you can there's lots of reasons to go. As you get more senior, I think that it gets tougher because a lot of the stuff that you would go to see either is something that 
um, is is pretty um, raw, right? It's a graduate student's thinking and it's early days for them, or it's stuff that you already know about because there are people in the field that you're connected to in some way, shape, or form, yeah. because that's what happens is you get to be an old timer in a community as you start to know the people. Um, so I think conferences are tricky that way as you as you move through the sort of trajectory of participation. But um, but yeah, I think I think you know one of the things that started us down this road is thinking about like, well, could they be better? Because I do think, and lots of smarter people than us probably have thought about this. But I do yeah. think it, it, you know we we are not at a we're not in a good place with conferences in terms of their structure. So thinking about what could be better unconferencing was an attempt at that. I think it doesn't have enough structure. I think that's the problem with unconferencing and why people haven't really picked it up. But I do think it's an interesting question to think more seriously about what are the purposes of these activities? Um, because being thoughtful about them, if you think about the human and natural resources that go into operating a conference, oh, yeah. It's massive, right? It's huge. So, right. so I'm giving up a week of my time, including traveling. We're flying, you know, the carbon footprint of these things is massive. Yeah. And then we go and just sit in a room and listen to each other talk one at one at a time. That's bananas. But I think that the thing that I learned last year, well, actually, even through this year, was that, you know, so many of my conferences. So the last conference I went to was in February, 2020. So I'd gone to a face-to-face -face conference in February, 2020. And I remember coming, you know, flying down, it was in Atlanta and I flew to Atlanta and, and people were like, Oh, this, this COVID thing. Have you heard about this COVID thing? And, and we're watching the news and then coming back, we see so many people at the airport wearing masks. And so that flip of just like a handful of days was pretty stark Yep. And so then we're like, well, how do you think this is going to impact things? And then everything gets shut down for the next 16, 18 months. But there were many conferences that I'd either planned to go to or helping to organize or so that just moved online. And so that was the thing that so many people have been arguing for about the, you know, the resources and the access and the equity yep. and, yep. you know, yep. carbon footprint. They're like this, there's a better way. And then when we did that better way, I found so many people who, hated it they hated everything about it and it also they became much more like there's a lot of people when you go to a face-to-face -face conference you just go to present yeah but i mean it's i would say at a face-to-face -face conference it might be you know i mean so many people present and maybe attend a handful of other sessions maybe sure. not attend every session but they'll tend you know sure but I know so many people went to virtual conferences who all they did was they presented. They yeah. did, I'm presenting and then I'm done because I have all of the other things that, right. and may, maybe we haven't figured that out yet, right? We haven't figured out how to do that and do that well, but I found it was all about the information mm -hmm. and about the present presentation and nothing about like, you know, interacting with other people and, and it became so much more of the just didactic, you know, talking box. And yep. I, there was one conference this summer that I was on the advisory board, the distance teaching and learning conference, where it was scheduled over four days. They said, okay, we'll just expand it. So it's usually a three-day conference that was in Madison, Wisconsin. And they said, we'll spend it over five days and then people could participate. And I found I couldn't, you know, really participate yeah. much at all because yep. it was just... I was still here. I was yeah. here in my, you know, spare bedroom, which is now my makeshift office. 
And I found that life just got in the way and I couldn't, you know, really cordon off that time. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, and, and I know I do this a lot, but, but for me, this is a learning theory issue, right? Like this is a thing about like, if you think that learning is about the information, then you've missed 90% of what it's about. Right. And, and I think this is the challenge that online conferences have is conferences, like all good learning opportunities to the degree that conferences are those things, they need to be about community and about building relationships between the people in the organization. And if you see it as just like, I'm going to transmit my information bleep blorp from you to me, you know, it, that, that stuff does not, that's not really the purpose, right? I can read your article, right? I, if I, cause it's, your article is a much cleaner, much more detailed, much more organized way of characterizing your work. And so if it's just about like, I want to understand what you're doing, then then a conference doesn't make any sense. So ultimately, a conference needs to be about the relationships between the people that are there. So everything that works against that is is going to make the conference less valuable. So I think that is the challenge of these online conferences is they don't pull you away from from your workaday world, as you're saying. Um, but the problem is that you you then don't make time for stuff. So I think one of the things that that can't be underestimated is um, is that you know conferences will not be a success if there is not a, a community component. And and you know the interesting thing is those online conferences recognize that and they tried to do stuff like NARS right, did they this. Tried. They had like knitting circles or like right. share pictures of your pets or whatever. But that feels like forced family fun. Like that's right. not, that doesn't work. That's not how community gets made is like a bunch of, you know, sort of awkward social, so right. planned social interactions. Forcing people together rather yeah. than, you know, the happen, those moments that happen between conferences and you see somebody and you're like, or you were sitting next to them and yeah. like there was, there was a person who was in one of the sessions I was in who just asked a really good question to the presenter. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, we, we were on an elevator at the same time. And I said, Hey, you know, you asked an awesome question in there. I just yeah. want to, and, and then it became this whole conversation sure. where we ended up switching, you know, sharing cards and talking for a while. And it was awesome. And that was just based on the fact that this person asked this really awesome question. Right. And, and that's the, the type of, you know, organic things that happen, informal things that happen that build that community that, you know, it's really hard to do online. And so it strips the, the, the conference down, these virtual conferences, switch, strip it down to it's like bare essence and it's right. not the part that you want it to be. Yeah. Right? And I think, you know, it's really similar. I see a lot of parallels to what happened organizationally at Penn State over the last year and a half, right? Which is to say, <clears throat> when I was <clears throat> in the olden days, when we actually went to the office and people were there, yeah, like, the reason I went to the office every day, I mean, part of it was I can work there in a more focused way to some degree. But the main reason I went there is because that's how you knew what was going on. Because you would bump into people in the hall and you'd talk yeah. to them and you'd, you know, you'd be walking by the staff office and you'd see somebody and you'd go in and say, Hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. And you talk and then you find out stuff. And and like being in that social network is is what makes makes it an organization as opposed to just a collection of like information bots that, you know, all get paid by the same company. So I think this, I like 
community can't be underestimated and how important it is for making the organization function. Like, I think we've talked about this before, but, you know, like it got really difficult to get anything done at Penn State in this time because it no longer was like I could walk into somebody's office and say, hey, Ali, like I have this problem. Can we can we take five minutes and talk about it? You seem to be, you know, and now it had to be like, oh, I send you an email. You send me an email. I send you a doodle poll. The doodle right. poll gets filled out. It's not, you know, we need this other person. So now it's another. So, so that, that, it, that massive inefficiency of all that made, made it so that the organization wasn't functioning very well. And so I think, you know, the same thing is true of conferences, right? You need yeah. that serendipity. You need that sort of bumping into people in the hallway or you and I are, are going out to lunch and we see somebody else and we're like, Hey, you want to join us? Right. And then suddenly it's a group of like seven or eight of us. Well, not seven or eight, maximum six. Well, we can talk about rules later, (laughs) but but you get your group and you go and you have lunch together and you chat and it's like, okay, that was awesome. And it wasn't something that was planned. It was just a thing that happened. And it's, it seems like that's harder to do in this afterworld because there's still so many folks who are working either completely remotely or partially remotely because they're yeah. like, okay, you know, like at our institution, we can, you know, have, you know, office hours online or have a number of office hours online. And so folks are like, okay, I'm going to, and so I don't, there's some colleagues that here we are, you know, you know, maybe halfway into the semester that I've only seen once or twice. Yeah. And just because of the nature of they're on, they're on campus different days and I'm on campus and it's just like all of the serendipity is lost. And yeah. I think that's the part with, you know, the, the, you know, face-to-face conferences, virtual, virtual conferences, or some kind of hybrid mix, you know, that create, it, it strips a lot of that away. And, yeah. and I thought, you know, that, okay, after doing this virtual stuff, and I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll probably not go back to conference as much, but actually after this, we, this, this attending this last one, I'm, I really found it to be, I mean, I'm an introvert who plays the role of an extrovert. Yeah. Like I, I know, like I like left to my own devices. I'm just going to kind of hang out by myself and read and do things. Mm-hmm. But I also know that in order to do this job, well, I've got to be an extrovert. I've got to put myself out there. And so when I go to a conference, I'm like, Hey, nice to meet you. Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. I'm that guy. You've seen this. I, I yeah. like you. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, and I'm that so, way too. so yeah, right. Exactly. I would say, I, th- I think that's where uh, you and I are similar in our personalities too, is that we both kind of put on this, like, it's not fake. It's still an part of who we are it's just not the part that we get the most energies from right and so when i come back from a conference i'm drained i am drained and all i want to do is just to go into like my little you know circle of recharge right like my family who are gonna like if i want to you know lay on the couch and watch tv for an hour they're cool with that because they know that i'm recharging so it takes a lot out of me but it's also something that i find valuable you know yeah, I think I mean, and I've heard that distinction made in other places, which is that introverts are people that can engage socially, but they don't get energy from it. It takes energy, whereas yeah. extroverts get energy from that interaction, and they leave like jazzed up. So they come back yeah. from a conference like fired up and and energized and ready to go and do stuff. And I think like you and I, both on a daily grain size and on the whole conference level grain size, like at the end of a day at a conference, I'm 
I I have nothing. Like I just yeah. need to lay and and sleep. And usually I try to sleep as late as I can because I'm exhausted. And I, yeah. so the next day you get up and do it again. Um, but that that doesn't mean, like you say, that you're faking it. It just means that it takes energy. You have to put energy out to do that. It's not. It's you're not drawing on it in the same way that other folks are. So I have a, you know, I have a love hate relationship with conferences. I love yeah. a lot. I love to, it's a, it's a really great way for me to learn. Um, and when I was teaching, I, I was going to conferences too. I would go to, you know, our, our state science teaching conference, which, you know, it's kind of hit or miss as of late, but, you know, at the time, you know, 15 years ago, it was, it was something it was a, and I, I remember going to, you know, we had, you know, physics conferences, physics education conferences around the state too. So that yeah. was another um, those were things I went to pretty regularly because I was always working on my craft and working on developing that those communities of, of practice and, you know, participating in those communities. And now that I'm in higher education, you know, I'm doing the same thing and I'm, I'm learning and learning from other folks and, you know, trying to incorporate that stuff into both my teaching and my research as, as much as I could. Um, but I also hate some things about it. I hate going to bad sessions. I hate being talked yeah. to. I, you know, keynotes can be really, really awesome or they can be really, really bad. And sometimes yeah. the people like who come, like I saw, um, uh, well, we don't need to go through and <laughs> I won't do that. No, you're but not I, name names. No, I'm not going to name names, but there were that I saw, you know, some really famous authors speak who I would think were going to be like, like really knock great. It out of the park, knock yeah. it out of the park. And then you go in the tent and it's like, womp, 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 yeah. sad trombones. And then the, the opposite, I saw some people who, you know, I, you know, thought were awesome speakers and I went and bought the book and the book was just like, this is nothing. This is yeah. like, well, there are different skill sets, right? It, they are. And that's, yeah. I think that the challenge with selecting a keynote is picking somebody who is, you know, has enough name recognition um, but it's also a forum in which they're really successful. So, so what I've been doing yeah. now, when I'm on an advisory board, selecting keynotes, I'll like try to find stuff online for them. Like if they've presented yep. something on YouTube or, or something, I'm like, okay, this is somebody recorded this, you know, TEDx thing in, right. you know, wherever. Yeah. And, and if I could see that and I go, okay, they can do this in 18 minutes. Yeah. Let's see if what they yeah. can do, you know? Yeah. I think that's good. Good advice. Um, and and I want to, because I think we, we need to get to Joy's here pretty soon, but I want to sure. pop, pop up for one second and just say, so if I was giving general advice, um, what I would say is the more you can think about conferences as a place to build relationships with people that you want to have relationships with and whose work you want to understand and whose ideas you think are interesting, the more you can do that, the better off you are. And I think that's true whether you're a junior person, this is the first time you've been to a conference, or you're a more senior person who's returning you know, after 15, 20 years of doing the same conference every year, yeah. right? I mean, if you think about it as, I am here to, to build a community of people who are like-minded, who have in, similar interests to me and similar concerns to me, and that that's how you orient yourself to that space you're much more likely to leave the conference saying, yeah, that was really valuable. I really enjoyed that. And I'm going to come back. But if you go there thinking it's going to be like, um, I don't know, like reading a magazine or a newspaper where you're skimming through the headlines and just choosing articles based on the headlines and then going and hoping that that session is going to be interesting to you. 
you know, in the same way that that works with articles, it, you know, sometimes that works great. Right. And sometimes you're reading an article and you're like, this is dumb. But with an article, you can just skip to the next one with a session, you know, as you say, depending right. on where the speakers are, it can, yeah. it can be awkward to get out of the space without, you know, humiliating somebody. Yeah. Well, I was, I, I was talking about that before the, the, the episode was that I was, yeah. you know, this, I, one of the sessions and I, I, I'm not a, afraid to leave a session if I'm like, you know, not getting what I need out of it. However, I don't want to be rude, you know? Right. And so like, I usually try to sneak out or I've been known to feign a phone call. Or I two. was going to say, this is like a letter Kenny thing, right? Like <laughs> yes. oh, yeah, hold 10, on. I've got, 10 uh, minutes yeah. in, it's like, yeah. oh, 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 sorry. <laughs> and you just like run out with the phone against yeah. your head with your, what, with your one finger up, like, <laughs> sorry, I'll be right back. I, this is such a great session, but I really, sorry. yeah. Oh, oh. you know, and <laughs> And it's it's not lying. Is it lying if you're doing it? Oh, to- it's totally lying. But it's it's the kind of lying that that you're protecting someone sure. and and their uh, their ego when you do that. But, but. but there was a session that the person was literally reading the, the the notes, and but the presenter was at the front of the room by the door. Yeah. And so to get out, you literally had to walk past them to walk out. Yeah. And I I was like 48 minutes through, and I saw a window. I saw a window and I took it and I yeah. left and I was like, but I had to make it 48 minutes through yeah. and, and I had sent you like pictures. Yeah, yeah you did. Well, and I, but th- there's nothing in the world that feels that better. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing in the world that feels better than escaping a terrible session. It's I mean, like, you, you leave maybe. and you're like, Oh my God, I got part of my life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, you know, come out and uh, harps are playing and the sun yes. is, uh, it's like, oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah, so that yeah. seems like a good transition to joys <laughs> and keeping yeah, a bad session. <laughs> it's my joy. No, let's start with you. What's your joy for the week? You have a joy. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start this week. Um, so, uh, so I don't think I've ever mentioned these before. I didn't, I should go back and look now we've, now that we've got such a deep catalog, I should be careful because there's probably stuff that we, we revisit, but, um, but I'm going to recommend uh, the Dresden files by Jim Butcher. So there are a series of novels. Um, I don't even know how many there are now, probably 16, 17. There are a huge number of them. And um, they're, you know, they're, they're mind candy. They're not deep intellectual novels, but they're the kind of thing that I like to, you know, listen to, especially if I'm um, like this weekend, I was, I was home alone a lot. And so I was doing that while I was puttering around the house. Right. You know, it's nice to listen to books on tape sure. when you're like, staying in the deck and washing the dishes and blah, blah, blah. so um so the dresden files are you know it's a guy who's sort of it's sort of like noirish hard-boiled investigator mixed with um mixed with like a fantasy element so where where there's an uh, there's this undercurrent of you know it's sort of harry potter in that regard right so there's this magical world of of um reality that underlays our reality and this guy is both a private investigator, at least in the beginning, and a and a wizard simultaneously. But he's learning how to be a wizard in the beginning, and it's yeah, they're they're great books. They're great books if you don't need like again, like you don't want something that's going to enrich your soul. That you just want something to sort of play in the background to keep you entertained. Um, but yeah, they're by Jim Butcher, the Dresden Files. Harry Dresden is the name of the the main dude, and it's got a you know, of course, after fifteen or sixteen books or whatever, there's a huge supporting cast that sort of recur over and over again. So you get to know this whole family of people. Um, but yeah, they're great books. And uh, sounds and, awesome. Yeah. So I highly recommend. 
So mine is this week is Squid Game. Mm. Uh, I know, I know. So I I will say that this is there's a it's a John it's a Netflix it's a new Korean uh, series. I think there's like probably nine or ten episodes of, of this in which it I guess it's a genre that I'm not really familiar with. It's like I think it's called Death Games. You know, like it's like kind of like Hunger Games, um, but it's pretty violent. It's set in South Korea, um, in which um, it's very, if, you, if you're a fan of Parasite, uh, the movie Parasite, which if you haven't seen the movie Parasite, check it out because Parasite's pretty, pretty awesome. Um, but that's sort of like um, poverty-based narrative sort of threads through uh, this squid game. And what's happening is these folks who are pretty down on their luck are given the opportunity to participate, participate in a game um, in which the survivors win money, um, but the survivors are literally survivors. The rest, the rest of the folks <laughs> die. <laughs> so, like in Hunger Games, yeah. And what's what's um, I'm about halfway through, and so I'm not going to give any spoilers away because I don't know how it ends. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say that you know it's really good television. Even the side of, I mean, it's kind of violent. There are people who get, you know, lots of, you know, people get shot, but you become connected to a lot of these characters and it's being offered in subtitled and also dubbed versions. I do the subtitled because I like to hear the actual, I think it gives more of like the, you know, common vernacular. It tries to do, do that than like, you know, because the dubbing, they're trying to still match some of the yeah. oh, dubbing is so bad. It is. I, I, I don't really enjoy dubbed things, but um, yeah, it is really engaging. Um, and so the, the, the games that the folks have to go through are all like kid based games. Like the first episode is like red light, green light. And, you know, so you have to like red light, you stop and green light, you go. And the. Uh, so all of the games are somehow related to that. And it's wild. It is wild. <laughs> and, um, but it's also like, it's not just sensational. Like you get, I mean, there's some of that, but it's not just that because you get emotionally connected to the characters. And so I have no idea how it's going to play out, um, but it is pretty engaging. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, as I told you, there's a, there's a big debate. I have some, uh, some folks around me, some of whom are like, oh my God, this thing is the greatest thing ever. And then others who are like, no, this is terrible. You should not watch it ever. So there's not, it, it's a bimodal distribution. There's nobody who's like, meh. Yeah. So, well, um, I get that. Like, and I, because I think that it's a commentary on, on society and wealth and debt. And there's a, there's part of that that's really hard because these are folks who are like either through their own doing or through the doing of others are put in a position where they have to make this choice for themselves and their family. And, and some of these folks uh, are, their debts are, are are like, you know, maybe thousands of dollars of debt. And some of them are like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Mm -hmm. And, um, but the challenge is how they got there. And this is their only way out. Yeah. And that I think is the, the really hard part. Um, but you do get invested in these characters, even the ones who, you know, have made bad choice, like really bad decisions and bad choices that got them there. And yeah. you're just like, yeah, I want to see this person be successful. Yeah. So nice. Squid Game. Squid Game. Squid Game. And the Dresden Files. The Dresden Files. Yeah. And, 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 and conferences. And conferences. And we love them. We hate them. Yeah. You know? We didn't really talk about presenting. Maybe that's another episode that we'll do in the future where we talk a little bit about like, how do you present at conferences in a way that um, 
you know, takes best advantage of that time and space. But we'll right, because I think it, it will tie into this because the the it comes back to, from, at least from my point of view, like teaching. It comes back to like, yeah. you know, because I think they're, you know, it's it's teaching adjacent, but it's still something that is, um, you know, there is learning theory that should be applied. Yeah, for sure. Well, here we are. Wow, here we are. Yeah, that's it in the in the books. No episodes. <laughs> something. I don't know. Whatever this. Oh, oh, don't, <laughs> I, unless I you're don't positive, know. don't say. I don't know. This, this, this episode is, of a number. <laughs> yeah, it, it is episode sixty six zero. Ooh, wow! Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, yeah that's but not. Fantastic. Or maybe it's not. Maybe maybe it's some other episode like 58 or 63. Who knows? Yeah. But people are listening and they're not arguing about it. And maybe, maybe yeah. they are. Maybe there's a whole Reddit where they've established uh, the, the, yeah, the canonical naming numbering system of this. Uh, I, I can't wrap my head around the possibility there might be a Reddit on that, I, that, I, that discusses this. I don't, I don't think there's any chance there's a Reddit. Or a Facebook group, or uh, or any other sort of like fan based uh, media. Maybe they're writing fan fan fiction. <laughs> okay, we, now we need to stop. That we are not. Nope. Yes. Nope. Hey, well, we'll catch you next time. Oh God. <laughs> In between. In between. <laughs>